This time on Poll Hub, we're digging into our new poll with NPR and the PBS NewsHour as only we can because it's our poll. Uh, we'll take a look at what voters are thinking about Biden, Trump, and a bunch of the others waiting in the wings. Plus, we've got some interesting insights into what Americans are thinking about tech companies as the Supreme Court this week heard arguments in a case that could upend the entire industry. Then USA Today's Susan Page joins to talk about women in politics. The latest trigger for this topic was CNN's Don Lemon disparaging GOP presidential candidate Nikki Haley because of her age. Note that she is 51. Susan has some thoughts on that, as do we. And uh, sort of a desert island disc fun fact about food. Confused? Well, you won't be. Let's get to it. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper. I'm Barbara Carvalho. And I am Lee Maringoff. We have a new poll out with our partners uh, at NPR and the PBS NewsHour. We asked a lot of questions, and, and we do want to uh, dig into these and unpack uh, some of them because there's some really interesting stuff in here. Uh, but let's stop. With, let's start with kind of the headline here, which is Joe Biden's approval rating. Sometimes in our polls, it's not so much a headline because it doesn't change, but it has been inching up. And in the case of uh, registered voters, uh, he is uh, just shy of 50 percent, which is close to a high watermark for him uh, since the Afghanistan withdrawal, uh, which was 18 months ago. Um, what do you see, Lee? You, you follow this approval number. This is one of your favorite things to look at for a presidency. What are we seeing and what does it mean? Well, I think uh, Joe Biden is the uh, well, he's the opposite of the victim. He's benefiting from uh, the curse of low expectations. Uh, you know, he's been kind of beaten down for so long. Uh, and since certainly the Afghanistan uh, debacle or whatever you want to call it. Um, and now starting, I think, with the State of the Union, maybe with the midterm elections, actually, where the Democrats and Biden uh, had the best midterm election for a first-time president uh, in uh, 88 years, uh, which was certainly noteworthy and I think caught a lot of people by surprise. Uh, and then the State of the Union, his uh, deft handling of the GOP and the whole energy with that, and now off to, to Europe with a surprise trip. Um, he's defying the low energy. He's just too old to be a successful president. And so I think that's showing up in the numbers. Uh, Democrats are now much more comfortable with him as their potential nominee. And it's just not because they're afraid of any kind of alternative in chaos. So I would say that's good, good news uh, for President Biden. Uh, and timing, as we know, is a lot about politics. And it's a good time to start getting your numbers up. Well, also, I think uh, after the midterm elections and with uh, a lot of Republicans uh, starting to throw their hat in the ring uh, to to run in 2024. And certainly that's where, you know, we have our sights uh, uh, as well. I, I think the, the White House is getting into campaign mode rather than just White House messaging mode, which they weren't terribly good at. Um, I think they're much more comfortable uh, in this space. And uh, particularly the president, I think he knows how to run a good campaign. And I think the 2024 campaign has uh, has has already begun. Uh, in that light, we at, did ask a, another question of Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents. Those are the folks who are uh, likely to be able to vote in primaries uh, as we as we enter that season. Uh, but we asked them uh, whether they thought they had a better chance of winning the White House in 2024 with Biden uh, as the Democratic nominee. 
um, or uh, someone else, which is, you know, quite a wide scope there. You can kind of put in your own picture. Um, and he had been struggling in that question uh, previously. And, uh, and so this time around, half, 50% of Democrats and Democratic independents said that uh, they thought he would be the better nominee. Uh, and I think that that is something that is really striking. Uh, just months ago, uh, a little bit before the midterms, when we were asking that question, uh, he was in the in the low 40s uh, among Democrats, and so I think there is a change. And as they as they get into campaign mode, he's more in step. And the flip side of Joe Biden is Donald Trump, at least uh, in a 2020 setting. Uh, and Trump was the first candidate to announce on the GOP side. Um, I, I think a, another headline out of this poll is the favorable number among Republicans and Republican-leaning independents for Donald Trump. Uh, there are other people running, Nikki, Nikki Haley, who we'll talk about on this podcast. Um, but his favorable numbers have kind of gone up and down over time. But uh, kind of the high water mark was in July of 2018, and they've kind of trended down since then. This is the lowest we've seen at 68% since back in early 2016 or mid-2016, um, when he was uh, you know, still a candidate but had a lot of troubles. Uh, is this a warning sign for Donald Trump? Is this an encouraging sign for people like Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, and Nikki Haley? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think you go back to, to to Donald Trump and you say, well, you know, this is a guy, uh, you know, whose numbers, uh, you know, defy where he would like to be. You know, in politics, the lesson before Donald Trump broke every rule was you have to keep redefining and defining yourself constantly in politics. And Donald Trump is now the same show. He's coming out with the same formula he's had, and maybe that's running a little stale, although in a crowded field, Barb will be quick to talk. Yes, to jump I was in. just about yeah. to jump in, Lee. If, if there's a half a dozen Republicans and they go to a primary, it's amazing what 30 or 35 percent can do. But also 68 percent is the highest number of any of the Republicans we asked about. Yes, Ron DeSantis course. is 66 percent. So, yeah, it's down. But Barb, he's still yeah, king of the hill. Abso absolutely. And I think the the more Republican candidates that throw their hat in the ring, I mean, how many did we have? Like almost 20 last time around. Um, so you don't exactly have to have a, a large proportion to to win a Republican primary. And the way the those primaries are structured as well, uh, many of them are winner take all. So you end up with the delegates, uh, perhaps with a very small uh, plurality of the vote. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be uh, writing the epitaph on on Trump and the Republican Party just yet. I mean, yes, Jay, you mentioned that you know these are the numbers that he has, um, you know, and hasn't had since uh, 2016. But then again, these are the numbers he had in 2016. So I <laughs> mean, this, you know, right, exactly. So uh, I, I think there's certainly a, a lot to. A lot to be said, and he is his core base is a very strong, committed uh, base uh, that will uh, turn out for him as as well. So lots lots to lots to unpack there. But I I also just wanted to mention that we there was a lot more in this poll. Uh, we we asked uh, particularly about the uh, national minimum wage uh, and whether people felt that it was time uh, for a fifteen dollar minimum wage. It is a it is a minimum wage that we do see in other states, but whether that could be made um, across the across the country um, as uh, as a federal minimum wage, and eighty uh, and and so quite a uh, quite a large proportion of Americans now support 
uh, a $15 minimum wage, particularly people um, who uh, are under 45. Uh, we did see a big age difference. And it was a difference, too, um, from, you know, pre-pandemic. Um, I don't know if it, that's about the pandemic, if that's about the, uh, you know, just inflation. Um, what do you guys see? Um, are there are there implications uh, to this? Do you see this as perhaps becoming an issue uh, down the road in uh, in our presidential politics? Yeah, I think the the thing on minimum wages, fifteen dollars an hour, um, was uh, something to talk about ten years ago. I mean, the national minimum wage has been stuck since two thousand seven, two thousand eight, whatever the year is. Um, I think it's a salient issue among Democrats. I, I don't think it is among Republicans. We see that in this um, where there is a, a real uh, partisan breakdown. And I think that to some degree, the national minimum wage argument has been obviated by the fact that the big companies are paying more than $15 an hour because they can't get workers otherwise. So mm. I, I kind of doubt this is going to be a big issue in 2024. But, uh, you know, stranger things have happened. But then another question we asked uh, was about the tech industry. The Supreme Court heard a major case this week and indications are they may not, um, you know, change the laws it is. But the law protects um, tech companies from being held liable for the, the content that is on their platforms, which is different than how the media works. It's different than how television broadcast uh, works. It's different than how newspapers work. Um, uh, to a large degree. So we asked the question, do people think that when it comes to moderating problematic content on social media, is it up to the company or is it up to the government to, to uh, set rules and define what problematic content is? And, uh, and this is something Americans agree on across party, across age, across everything. It's one of these few rare issues where there's agreement. 67% uh, of adults, uh, which includes 64% of Democrats, 69% of Republicans, 71% of independents, think it's up to the companies. The Supreme Court seems to think that is correct based on, on what some of the questioning was from both conservative and liberal, liberal uh, members. The, the last question I just wanted to raise is um, because I think we're a little different than what some other polls have been. And this is on another topic that's all over the news this week because Joe Biden went to Ukraine. And that is, are we giving the right amount too much, too little support to Ukraine? We asked it in an interesting way. We didn't say too much or too little. And if you look at too much or if you look at people thinking that the right amount of support for Ukraine, along with uh, uh, we should do more, that's 67 percent, which is two thirds of Americans basically think the path I think we're on is right in Ukraine. I think some of the polling or at least some of the reporting on polling has indicated that Americans are not as supportive. And I think our poll kind of uh, makes the yeah. case. You got to ask a question uh, more carefully. Yeah, yeah, I think, and, and if you look at it, as you say, the, the spending too much pizza should be increased, uh, but not if you throw the right amount in, which is a lot of money to be spent. Uh, going back to our original point on this was Joe Biden. It's interesting that he has now connected the issue of democracy domestically with the issue of democracy in the Ukraine. And I can't think of a, probably a better word, maybe than family values to run on than democracy. And so I think he's got himself well positioned uh, for certainly a, a presidential campaign, uh, age notwithstanding. Well, CNN anchor Don Lemon recently uh, made headlines uh, with his comments uh, dismissing the new Republican candidate for president, uh, Nikki Haley, and he certainly paid a price for it. Uh, on CNN this morning, he said, quote, Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry, a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. Well, Don Lemon is 56. Nikki Haley is 51. He <laughs> later apologized on Twitter for his remarks, calling them 
inartful and irrelevant and was off the air for a couple of days on presumably a already scheduled vacation. But this opened up the question, is there an expiration date for women in politics? Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief of USA Today and author of Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power, uh, wrote about this very topic in USA Today. And we've got a treat. She is joining us uh, today. Welcome, Susan. It's so good to be back with you. Thank you. Great to see you. Um, now, you guys at USA Today uh, partnered with Suffolk University and did a poll at the end of last year, which showed that half of Americans believe an ideal president, if they could choose, uh, would be between 51 and 65 years of age. So Nikki Haley actually checks that box. Um, the same poll also showed that a majority, 55%, said gender didn't matter when it came to the presidency. But of course, that does leave 45%, uh, which is an awful lot of people who said that it does, or perhaps were just unsure about it, uh, which includes 50% uh, of Republicans who said their ideal president um, is a man. Um, you know, Don Lemon certainly isn't the first to criticize a female candidate. We've both lived through Hillary Clinton's many campaigns uh, where she received lots of backlash but from everything, uh, you know, from the way she dressed to the way she spoke. So what does this say about the future of women in politics? Well, it says that women in politics still face some special hurdles uh, that when a man starts to get gray hair and some jowls, people think he looks more distinguished. When that happens to a woman, there are questions raised about whether this is a face you want to see every day if they're elected president. That was a that was a comment that was sometimes made when Hillary Clinton was running for president, not a comment made about Donald Trump, who was running against her. So I think that even though women have made some significant progress when it comes to politics, a record number of women, for instance, now serving in the Congress the first woman ever elected president pro tem of the Senate this year, there is still a ways to go if you're looking for equal treatment of men and women. And I tell you, that is especially true among Republicans, women wishing to run as Republicans. 50% of Republicans in our poll said they would prefer a man as their candidate. 2% said they would prefer a woman, which is, by the way, below our margin of error. It could be minus a negative force on that. Yeah. When I looked at the numbers and some of the information that you provided uh, in your article, uh, it just seemed, you know, if you're if you're under 40 or whatever, you're too young. And if you're sort of over 45 or whatever, you're, you're already past your prime. It just seemed to be a very small window of acceptability uh, between too young and too old. Uh, I I. I I, I, I saw the numbers on the Senate and the House and I reacted. I was somewhat surprised that the numbers had gotten that high. But then again, this is decades since these arguments have been on the table. And so do you look at those as being sort of a, a class that's uh, half full or a quarter full <laughs> or, or three quarters empty still? Well, better than it used to be. But if you think that if you think about gender parity, um, Yes. We're not nearly there. And if you look at the kind of comparison with the rest of the world, the U.S. now ranks 72nd in terms of female representation 
in the parliament or the Congress. The United States lags behind most other mature democracies when it comes to the participation of women in elective office. And of course, the United States has yet to elect the first woman president. So the the glass is either half full or half empty, maybe in some ways both. Um, We do have the first woman ever as vice president. Uh, And we also shouldn't forget Nancy Pelosi, uh, who just this year stepped down as the most powerful woman in the history of American government. And by the way, she defied the age stereotype. She was 82 at the point she stepped down as Speaker of the House. So we have some exceptions. But if you look at the broad numbers, I think you'd have to say, why is the United States, which leads the world in so many ways, lagging on this one? Well, maybe that's our question for you. Uh, <laughs> you know, what's Na- you know, you've written about, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi, and um, she certainly is an exceptional, exceptional person, um, man or woman. Uh, it was, but is she is she really going to be an aberration, um, or is is she is she what our future is about? Well, I'm an optimist, um, and I'm from Kansas. We're naturally an optimistic uh, people. And so I would say, yeah, we're going to make progress. We're going to elect a woman president in my lifetime. Uh, Nancy Pelosi will not be an aberration. We will see women in leader, leadership positions uh, throughout the government. But I think it's a harder, it's a harder task than we might have predicted a hundred years ago when women finally got the right to vote. Yeah, it yeah, has and, been. And the, I was just going to say that the, it's not that men are immune from this. I think that President uh, Biden's biggest hurdle right now is questions about his age. Uh, and, and he's, you know, in his early, uh, early eighties as well. But, um, you know, I guess Senator Grassley is just hitting a stride where Senator Feinstein is over the hill and they're both the same age. So that defies numbers don't seem to apply when it comes to gender. And I guess Speaker Pelosi was the exception, uh, because of her exceptional talents. Uh, but, but as you say, it's a, it's a big lift, uh, to, a big obstacle. Well, how big a problem is, is ageism um, in politics? Because, I mean, to, 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 to kind of put this into context, this actually started because Nikki Haley was advocating for mandatory competency tests for politicians older than 75, making that very point against, you know, President Biden. So, uh, you know, is this is this I, I, I certainly uh, understand that there's a, a lot of sexism in politics, but how much is ageism also a, a problem? Well, ageism, uh, I think, works in both ways. I think Americans, particularly when they're looking at the top jobs like president, they want somebody who's been around a while, who knows something about foreign policy, who has some experience in dealing with big issues. But they're also attracted to, to young, a new generation of leadership. How many times have we heard that expressed, not just by Nikki Haley, but going back to John F. Kennedy? So Americans, I think, value kind of both aspects of, of aging. I do think that when we think about the presidency in particular, which is, uh, you know, the most important uh, political job we could think of, um, that Americans, we can ask Americans what their ideal is. But they make their judgment based on a whole combination of factors, including some they probably couldn't articulate. So Americans don't say, here are my six ideals, and I'm going to just choose someone in this age group. They look at the mix 
of qualities that a candidate brings and say, this is the person I'm going to trust with my future. And I think that's the reason, for instance, that Barack Obama was able to become the first Black person elected president of the United States. People didn't say, oh, I think it's time to elect a Black person. They said, here is the person compared to the alternatives that I want to support for president. And I actually think that is what will happen with a female candidate, that we will, I hope in not too long, have a female candidate in one of the parties that voters say, hey, hey look at that person. That's the person I trust. Is there you a know, party the difference in all this uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, uh, you mentioned that Republicans are, the attitudes seem to lag, uh, but yet there's now an increase, I guess, in Republicans also in that house. Yes, although uh, who are women? Who are women? Yeah, who are women. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, the number of women Republicans I think went down one in uh, twenty twenty. I think Republicans they went up in the last in the twenty twenty two midterms, but Republicans have seen uh, not the kind of gains among female representation uh, in the Congress that Democrats have, and part of that is because Democrats have really focused on. Uh, diversifying in race and gender, their membership in Congress. Republicans have been averse to that because they they talk about wanting to make, uh, they don't like identity politics. They want the, uh, the, the qualities of individuals to rise to the top. And that is just beginning to change thanks to Elise, thanks in part to Elise Stefanik, uh, a member of Congress you all know where, well, who has started a PAC and increased, I think, increased, pursued the idea that Republicans need to elect more women to Congress as well. But at the moment, Democrats far outpace Republicans when it comes to electing women to Congress. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity of asking you the question uh, from your perspective as having been one of the most successful women reporters in Washington. What's it like in journalism? I mean, are, are we seeing the glass ceiling shattering a little bit? Well, let's talk about TV journalism because I can tell you that politics has nothing on TV journalism when it comes to age discrimination <laughs> against okay. women. Women, as a general rule, have a very tough time aging on the air in contrast to men. Susan, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat. It's always my pleasure to be with you. Thank you. And I, I always enjoy uh, talking to Susan Page. Uh, but we do move on to the fun fact, which is also an enjoyable moment. Uh, and the question was a poll which was done with CBS News uh, Vanity Fair in 2012. Uh, and the question was, if if all food only had one flavor, which of the following would you most like that flavor to be? Steak, chocolate, broccoli, watermelon, or mashed potatoes? <laughs> I didn't see my McDonald hamburgers in here, but... Uh, chocolate wins out 34%, maybe not surprising, steak at 30, uh, and then we fall down to watermelon and mashed potatoes and uh, broccoli at a mere 6%. So uh, chocolate, your one flavor for morning, yeah, noon, no. and night. Yeah, no, too, way too sweet. I think way what's sweet. The, the way, I love this as a fun fact because who thought of this question and those answers and why? I mean <laughs> They use they use Chat GPT. No, well, they, not they, in 2012 they or they, 2011. I know they they didn't. It was 2011. But you kind of got the feeling this this was a group of pollsters that had been polling a lot and they were up really late. 
And so, <laughs> so yes, it was actually a December poll. So uh, they can't use a they can't use a big election uh, as an excuse. But uh, yeah, just, that was that was kind of odd. But it's so yeah. weird because wouldn't you, you might? I mean, I can see asking a question: What's your favorite food? If you could only eat one food, would it be chocolate? Would it be sick? But if all food had only one flavor, it's kind of some dystopian science fiction nightmare. Like, I don't know. It's crazy. Athen found this, and uh, kudos for finding so far in our 284 episodes, I think, the oddest fun fact question, the oddest polling question. And frankly, what would you I've like seen. your food to taste like, Jay? I don't want it to taste like one flavor. That is, a dy yeah. that is my dystopian nightmare, because I love food, and that really is pretty close to my nightmare there is that everything yeah. would taste the same Ugh. i know what barbs would be barbs would be salt and pepper would be right. ice you know, cream uh, yeah. <laughs> well I, exactly. I actually my original take on this question was wrong i thought the question actually read uh what would be your number one flavor to go along with steak and then i saw chocolate one and i couldn't imagine putting my you know putting steak with some foxes you bet chocolate sprinkles across the top of it but it, no it is a favorite if you had nothing else it's chocolate and then you get steak uh i you know maybe soda or beer would have i i think this that, i think I this know. was just a late night and a really odd group of question writers That'll do it for Poll Hub this week. Poll Hub is produced by the Maris Pola at Maris College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mary Griffith is our executive producer. Casey Schaff is our production supervisor. The Poll Hub team includes Athan Hollis and Will Promizel. If you enjoy Poll Hub, please consider leaving a review. Positive reviews help other listeners like you find us. If you'd like to learn more about polling and survey science, check out the Maris Poll Academy our free online learning portal accessible from our website. If you have questions for us, tweet them directly to at Marist Poll. Remember, you can always tell your smart speaker to play Poll Hub. And with any luck, it will cooperate. Finally, wherever you listen to Poll Hub, there is a subscribe button. Click it and the latest episode will be ready for you in your podcasting app as soon as it's released. We'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.